Hello, I'm Montana. And I'm Samantha. And you're listening to Reaper Tales. And today we are talking about apparently spooky bitches. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the title that was provided. Uh, it's always random when I'm going to name it whenever we go in here. At this point, yeah, we used to be so much more together, but this makes it more interesting, I guess. Um, we've just gotten to where it's just whatever. Yeah, pretty much. Whatever you come up with. Um, I like it personally. It's terrifying. Whatever might come out of my head. This Um, is very accurate. (laughs) So uh, before we get started, we're going to be drinking the Vampire Kiss cocktail, which you'll understand why when I get into my um, case, whatever story. Fair enough. Oh, by the way, this is another joint, so. Yeah, oh yeah. Congratulations. You're welcome. Don't know when this one's coming out, but it's a joint. <laughs> we're, today we're doing a what bet three back to back? We're trying, yeah. We're, we're trying to do three back to back. Yeah. So, anyways, so the vampire kiss cocktail. Um it this actually makes two cocktails, so be wary. Um, you're gonna need uh raspberry vodka, black raspberry liqueur, um, Cranberry juice, grenadine, and champagne and maraschino cherries. So you're going to have put four ounces of vodka, two ounces of the raspberry liqueur, three ounces of the cranberry juice, um, half an ounce of grenadine, and three ounces, or don't put the champagne in yet, but you're going to have three ounces of champagne afterwards. You're going to put all that in a shaker, except for in some ice, except for the champagne, shake it. For obvious reasons, because of the shake. <laughs> yeah, don't put the champagne in there. Um, pour it into martini glasses, top with your champagne and stir, then add your uh, maraschino cherries onto the martini glass and enjoy. Um, I'm not drinking uh, because it's early in the day, so I have uh, coffee. Cheers. Cheers. Not saying anything. Yours is like a brunch drink. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going for, more of a brunch. I mean, why not, right? I mean, we're we're getting this started early and we're going to have a long day. So, yeah, and I have not eaten, so I can't can't drink yet. So, today I'm not going to go over my resources because I have a ton of them. They will be in the In other words, she's going first. Yeah, I'm going first. So, today I'm going to tell you about the boo hag. Okay. Um, I know I told you. Looking for, like, Looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. I know I told you I was going to tell you a completely different story um, when we talked about this last week. But so. But you being you, you changed it <laughs> yeah. last minute or you did a lot of research and decided you didn't want to do that one yet. And then, yeah. Pretty much. Like I was researching that other one and I came across this one and I was like, oh my God. And I like went into a rabbit hole, like looking into this. It's, it's fascinating. So Fair anyways, I exhaust myself. That's, that's what all this comes down to. Um, anytime, you, all right. anytime you hear a case from me, that's not the only case I have researched. I have halfway no. researched multiple other cases because <laughs> I can't just stick with one thing. Ugh. So frustrating. So the Boo Hag is a folktale that originated from the Gullah people. 
Before I get into the legend and folklore of the Boohag, I think it's also important to understand a bit of the culture and history of the Gullah Geechee people. I think it's Geechee. I looked at the pronunciation yesterday. And you I, said Gullah, and all I can think of is Gullah Gullah, Gullah, Gullah Island. Island. Yeah. And that's what, I, that's what I thought, too. And um, I, I kept seeing Gullah Gullah Island come up, and I don't know if, if it has anything to do with, with, like, based on the Gullah people. It might be. Oh, okay. Probably is. I feel a little less bad. Yeah. Well, when I tell you about the Gullah people, you'll kind of understand why it might be based on it. So. Okay. So the Gullah culture and community was born from, as most things are, enslaved people. In the 18th century, many African people were enslaved and brought over to America, as we all know. The Gullah enslaved people were a bit different. They were specifically kidnapped from the western part of Africa in and around Sierra Leone. The African people had developed a way of growing and harvesting African rice. They've been doing this for like... 3,000 years. So they okay. they had it down. Which is, it's similar, but it's different than Asian rice. Okay. Um, this made them the per- perfect people to kidnap and enslave on the East Coast of America. More specifically, most of them were sent through Charleston and Savannah during this time. I I really wish I could get deeper into this history because all of the stuff that I read about this culture and these people, it's fascinating. I'm giving you a brief overview. It's going to be a little bit long, but I think you're going to enjoy it. Okay. Um, I like learning stuff. <laughs> yeah, same. Let's, let's do it. Um, there's so Even better stuff. when I don't have to do the research. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So hang on, I lost my place. There's so much behind who and where these people came from. So if that is something you want to know, I will link a couple of sites in our show notes that goes show notes that go over exactly what areas and cultures they were taken from. So if you so choose to look further into it, listeners, it'll be in the show notes. And I ask that you do. Now once in South Carolina, they were sent to live within the Low Country region of the United States. Um, these states were Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, and North Carolina, within the coastal plains and the sea islands. Due to the climate in the coastal plains, it was the perfect location for growing African rice. The enslaved were sent there to develop and build irrigation dams and earthworks. This wasn't just a perfect location for growing African rice either. It ended up being the perfect location for for preserving much of the African culture that is typically lost when enslaved people were sent to plantations. The coastal plains and the sea islands are isolated. Normally, when enslaved people are sent to plantations, there is only a small group of them, and their culture ends up getting lost in the British culture. But since the islands were isolated, most of the people living on them were enslaved Africans. It ended up becoming even more isolated because, as white people are wont to do, they didn't think about the impact to the environment or the diseases, or the diseases that would bring they would bring by kidnapping people from another country and dropping them in a new one. The subtropical climate in these in the sea islands weren't just perfect for rice growth; it was perfect for the spread of malaria and yellow fever. Since these diseases were endemic. In Africa, and might have been carried by enslaved Africans to the colonies, 
those enslaved had acquired some immunity already in their homeland, but not the enslavers. <laughs> it's like, it's, that's, it's that's karma. Kind of karma. Yeah. <laughs> it's like almost it's, instant karma. Yeah. Instant karma. So in order to keep themselves safe from the spread of these diseases, the enslavers didn't spend much time on these islands to oversee the plantations. This left the enslaved to cultivate and preserve their history and culture. From that culture was born the Gola, or the Geechee. These names are thought to be derived from the name of the Ogeechee River near Savannah, Georgia. Gola is a term that was originally used to designate the Creole dialect of English spoken by the Gola and Geechee people. Over time, its speakers have used this term to formally refer to their Creole language and distinctive ethnic identity as a people. The Georgia communities are distinguished by identifying as either freshwater Geechee or saltwater Geechee, depending on whether they live on the mainland or the sealand. It's such an amazing, amazing history and culture too. They have such, they have so much art, traditions, and storytelling that is preserved. Truly, I could I could talk about this all day. The last thing I will say about the Gullah, pe- Gullah people is that in the past few decades, they have fought to preserve the land they now live on. The Sea Islands area over the years, once they were freed, wealthy white people began to encroach on the island by developing resorts and hunting destinations which like what the fuck yeah like we just fucking ruin everything i can't (laughs) this is why everybody hates us i know (laughs) and they have every right to uh they did achieve victories over the years one being in 2006 when the u.s congress passed the gola geechee cultural heritage corridor act it provided $10 million over 10 years for preservation and interpretation of historic sites in the low country related to the Gola culture. So all of this is to say, even though the whole setting is terrible, that they were picked up out of their homeland, they were placed here to work to make money for white people um, due to how they were so isolated all of these stories that come from them are, they weren't whitewashed and they didn't get okay. lost over time. So it originated from them. Now to the boo hag le- legend or better boo hags. There's I feel like I've heard this term, that term before. You probably have. Um, there are some sayings um, like don't let the hag ride your back or something like that. That's kind of tossed around in Southern States that actually referenced this um, <clears throat> that I didn't even know was referencing to this. And you, when we get to some ways to kind of like keep the boo hag away, you might've heard it in other legends too. Okay. So there's more than one. <laughs> uh, so it's not just like one long I, boo hag. I surmise that from the specific, you specifying hags. Yeah. Hags. So, this thing is fucking terrifying. Um, Good to know. So the lore goes that the boo hag uh, is created when a person has passed away. And if their spirit is good, it ascends to heaven. But if it's bad, it lingers here and it becomes a boo hag. Some have likened it to a vampire of sorts. Ah, okay. That's, that's where the drink comes from. Fair enough. But it's pretty different from a vampire. 
it gains sustenance from a person's breath instead of blood. And this is where I've heard it. No, 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 no. I watched like a show or something and it mentioned this. It was like a supernatural show and they, they mentioned this because that specific aspect I've definitely heard before. Yeah. Well, it, it doesn't just do that either. It also um, rides its victims. Oh. Yeah. And nice. yeah. Uh, the boo hag, when it shows up, has no skin. It's red and person shaped, but just no skin. So in person like, shaped, I like that description. <laughs> it's like it's like if you took all your skin off, you know. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So to be less conspicuous, they will steal a victim's skin and use I it. Knew that was coming for as long as it holds <laughs> Sophia out. Sophia is gonna scream if she's listening to this episode. I swear to God. She is terrified of skinwalkers. <laughs> I hope she does because I actually talk about her later in here. Uh, <laughs> So they wear other people's skin like it's clothing. How oh, lovely. Yeah, it's... Mm, All right. It's having a men in black moment. Mm-hmm. It's, you know... <laughs> Edgar suit. <laughs> Not in an Edgar suit. <laughs> no, please. I can't. Um, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> I wonder uh, if it fits well. <laughs> could you imagine, like, like, you show up and your victim is, like two sizes bigger than like your meat body your body meat like your what you are oh man i can't even adjust i can't go to the seamstress at this time of night i'm just gonna have to make this work yeah (laughs) um so when a hag determines a victim is suitable for riding the hag will generally gain access to the home through a small so if it's gonna ride this person um is it before or after it steals the skin because now i'm a little concerned so okay it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> sorry. It, do both? it only does one or the other depending on how the interaction with the victim goes depends on if it uh, okay. rides its skin or not so um so they'll gain access okay. through small cracks crevices well, maybe that's the answer to your holes. question then what if you show up and it doesn't fit oh well i guess it you're the be. other one you know, I think the boo hacks just misunderstood. They just want a new outfit, you know? Yeah. I don't blame them. <laughs> I like mixing it up, too. Yeah, same. Uh, the hag will then position themselves over the sleeping victim, sucking their breath. This act renders the victim helpless and induces a deep dream-filled sleep. The hag tends to leave the victim alive so as to use them again for their energy. However, if the victim struggles, the hag may take their skin, leaving the victim to suffer. So if you struggle, they're just going to take your skin, um, buy skin. <laughs> so just pretend to be fine with yeah. this situation and, and you'll probably be okay, maybe for sure. a little while. Yeah. Um, so after taking the victim's energy, the hag flies off as they must be in their skin by dawn. So they do have skin. They take it off before they go out. And, you know, still either people's skin or their energy or both. Um, but they have to be back by dawn or they'll be forever trapped without skin. Oh, don't want that. Yeah. When the victim awakes, they may feel short of breath, but generally the victim only feels tired. Because, yeah, like you're having your life energy sucked out or your skin. It, it sounds out. like almost like a succumbus or an incubus. Like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Sucking, sucking the life bus. force. Yeah. Yeah. An incubus. Ah. 
Dang. I just reread those not too long ago. So good. It was a good series. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are ways to keep yourself safe at night from this creature. Some say that you can leave a broom by your bed at night to distract the boo hag until morning. Boo hags are... <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah, it just gets really distracted and decides it wants to clean your house instead of doing what it's going to do. I wish. Uh, no, but apparently boo hags are thought to be obsessed with numbers and counting, and they won't be able to like help themselves from stopping and counting the straw in the broom. Which I feel like I've heard. So obsessive compulsive disorder too? Aww, yeah, I think names. so. Well, no wonder their skin comes off. They probably pick it off. Um, ah, I think we're Actually, getting down to the meat well. of it. Yeah. Um, down to the meat of it. I thought you were just going to let that one go by. <laughs> uh, I, I couldn't. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I cracked myself up. Obviously. So, like, I feel like I've heard that before. Mm-hmm. I think it was, like, with, um, I think it was, like, with gnomes or something. Or trolls. Like, it, it was something. If they break into your house, if you put a broom, like, next to your bed, they'll be, they'll be obsessed with counting the straw in it. I haven't it. heard so, that one. I don't think the boo hag's the only one that, that does this. Also. Um, but it's also thought that the boo hag is actually linked to sleep paralysis, kind of like the hat man. Okay. So it could just be like people. Makes sense. Yeah. Thinking of shit when they have uh, sleep paralysis. So now, do you want to hear a story about the boo hag? Well, yeah. That's what okay. we're here for. Cool. So I found an online video of Donna Washington telling a story about the boo hag on PBS. Uh, which oh, that's what you sent me a yeah. picture of. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like obsessed with Donna Washington. I watched that video like 10 times. She is an amazing storyteller. Um, I'll link some information about her in the show notes, as well as the video, if you want to go watch it. But I immediately like began looking into her while doing the research because side quest. Uh, and not only is she like internationally known, um, as a multiple award-winning storyteller. She's also an author. And when I came across like one of what she was an author of, I actually realized that I knew one of her books. Um, The reason I knew one of her books is because I almost bought it for Sophia a couple of months ago. Oh, it's, it's a picture book and it's called boot. It's boost Yeah. Uh, at the time, I didn't get it for Sophia because I thought she was, you know, too old for a picture book. Um, but she, she's going to have a package at your house this week. <laughs> <laughs> she'll, she'll appreciate it anyway. Uh, it, it's cute. It, it's a cute book, you know. So, um, And, like, now I'm obsessed with Donna Washington and I want to order her other books. Surprise. Yeah. Uh, so now to this story, I'm not going to read it word for word, even though there was a transcript of that video, I can't do it justice. Like, obviously. So I'm just going to like shorten it and, um, paraphrase, paraphrase. So the story goes that a bachelor named Aaron did not want to get married. Most people believed he didn't want to get married because of his mother, whom he lived with in a big three story house. But after. Yeah, I mean, sometimes uh, 
moms can be like possessive and like weird about their sons. I feel like I've mentioned that in at least one Black Widow episode. Yeah, it it gives me the egg. Um pretty bad. Um, anyways, so, and we lived, okay, but after she passed, he still didn't want to get married. That is until he met Maggie. Maggie was beautiful, and every man in town would have ac- accidents when they saw her walking by. You just think of, like, men running into phone poles and, like, rubbernecking to see her. Um, but Aaron didn't seem to be, like, excited about Mary. Uh, Maggie. Um, when Maggie saw Aaron, she was on him, though. Even though sh- he showed no interest in her in the beginning, she eventually wore him down and they began to spend more and more time together. He eventually asked her to marry him and she accepted. The day they married, Aaron went off to work and Maggie, because they got married like in the morning. Um, and this was way back when. Fair enough. No honeymoon. Yeah, no honeymoon. And Maggie moved into his uh, large home. When Aaron arrived home from work, Maggie had cooked a huge dinner. After dinner, Aaron went to clean up and Maggie cleaned the kitchen. They spent the evening in their rocking chairs downstairs while Maggie sang and sewed. Aaron grew very tired and eventually Maggie helped him up to bed. In the night, Aaron reached over for his wife, but she wasn't there. She hadn't been in bed all night, it seemed. Soon, he heard her making her way to the bedroom but couldn't see her in the dark. When she got when she got in bed, he reached out to touch her, but she hissed at him and he pulled his hand back. She was slimy and she smelled like she had been rolling around in rotten eggs. He stayed on his side of the bed after that. No, no kidding. <laughs> that about do it. <laughs> yeah, right? In the morning, he believed he dreamed all of it. The days followed much the same after that. She would cook... He would become tired, and he'd wake in the middle of the night to touch her, and she would hiss and be slimy and smell terrible. Okay. While things were staying the same day after day for Aaron, things in town were changing. All the men in town grew so sick that they couldn't get out of bed. This meant that the women had to begin running everything for the men, and the children also grew sick. They canceled school. The only healthy people in town were the women and Aaron. Aaron knew something wasn't normal with his wife, and he went looking for answers. Since all the women... Dude, you're the only one that's fine. Just leave it. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You're okay. Just ignore the rest of them. Worst case, they die. You're still alive. Just leave it. Yeah, so weird. Um, Since all the women were busy with men's work, he found an old woman who lived in the swamp by herself and asked her for help. He explained to the old woman what was happening, and she told him that he had married a boo hag. She explained what a boo hag was and helped him create a plan to get rid of it. She told him to get blue paint and a big box of salt and to take it home and hide it in the bushes. She told him not to eat his dinner and to put wax in his ears so he couldn't hear her. She told him to pretend to fall asleep and wait for her to remove her skin. Then after she goes out, he needs to grab the paint and salt. He needed to pour the salt in her skin and put it back where she had stowed it. Then paint all the windows and doors blue because a boo hag can't cross blue paint. Never heard that before. Um, 
Interesting. I've heard like certain things can't cross like salt lines. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but never blue paint. It's a new one. So that night, Aaron hid his food in his clothes. Then he went to clean up after dinner. When he did, he put wax in his ears. That night, as they sat in their rocking chairs as usual, and Aaron pretended Aaron pretended to fall asleep as Maggie sang. Thinking that he was completely out, Maggie pulled the thread of her skin from her finger and fed it into the spinning wheel. She spun her skin off with the wheel, and as she as she did, she sang spin, spin, spin off skin over and over until all <laughs> of her skin was off. Well, that would have taken a while, but right. <laughs> yeah. When she was done, she rolled up the Maggie suit skin and put it <laughs> in the window. Sounds so gross. It's like a meat suit. Ugh. Uh-huh. Then she left through the window. Aaron shot to his feet, disgusted, and began to paint all the windows and doors to the house. But his house was so large, it was taking a lot of time. Finally, thinking he was almost done, he remembered the attic. He went up to the attic and painted the window up there. Once he was done, he ran back downstairs but heard a boom. The boo hag had run into the window she uh, she left from. She couldn't cross the blue paint, though. She tried the other windows and doors but found them all painted as well until she got to the attic. Aaron had forgotten that there was two windows in the attic, not just one. He could hear her making her way through the house down to where he was. So he quickly ran to the window box and poured salt in the Maggie suit. He put the suit back and painted a big blue circle around himself in the middle of the room. Maggie walked in and avoided the circle he stood in saying, you can't stay in there forever. She retrieved her skin and pulled it back on just as the sun was coming up. Then she began to scream. Her skin began to bubble and explode in places. Oh my gosh, this is so graphic. Smoke started coming off of the Maggie suit and Boo Hack Juice ran down her skin. She ran to the stairs trying to get to the attic and flew out of the window over the swamp. But by the time, by this time, her skin was all gone and the sun hit the Boo Hack and she exploded over the swamp. Little pieces of cooked boo hag fell down into the water and alligators ate the boo hag for breakfast. Wow. (laughs) Aaron never told anyone what happened to Maggie. Two things changed about Aaron that day, though. The first one everyone, everybody saw, he painted his entire house blue. The second change only a few people knew about. He bought himself a lifetime supply of salt because he knew there's more than one boo hag in the world. Fair enough. How many of them are coming for you, though? I don't know. What? This is fucking crazy. <laughs> All right. It was more graphic than that when she was telling it. it. She, like, when she was talking about, like, Maggie pulling her skin off, she was, like, pulling it off. Like, oh, that's so gross. And then, like, there was a lot of description of descriptions of boo hag juice, but I, like, kept it at that. That's sufficient. One, Yeah. That's sufficient. So there's another story, and I'm going to put it in the show notes. It's similar to this, um, but not exactly the same. So if anybody wants to go and read that one, I just didn't have time to do two. So that's the boo hag. Okay. Um, Wow. 
That sounds really familiar. I can't figure out where I have heard a very, very similar story. Not to that extent, like not that exact story, but something very, very similar. And it's probably going to bug me. I'll eventually find it and send it to you. But very fascinating. Yeah. And uh, terrifying. I I think so. Um, I was afraid I was going to have nightmares about it last night. Because <laughs> anything you? That- no, anything that has to do with like somebody removing their skin is just like, ugh, ugh. yeah, it's, um, and that was graphic. Yeah. It's not the, the way that it was done. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, good job. Okay. Uh, so mine is a little less gory and gruesome, but, Aww. um, maybe it's good that I'm going second this time. All right. So. <laughs> I am going to talk about the story of Huggin' Molly. Uh, this is one that cracked me up when I read it in the book. And when I told Paul about it, it was one that he had actually heard of. And um, so I was kind of surprised that this was one that he had heard of. But there's not a lot of information, but I I got everything that I could glean from it. And hopefully it'll be entertaining. Um, it was very interesting to say the least but trying to like it was so much word of mouth for this one that there's not a lot of actual firsthand accounts because it's just something that the townspeople talk about and they don't really necessarily write about it or actually give accounts that you could glean from the internet so okay all right so take a moment i want you to put on your imagining cap and imagine you're a young teen or child And you're going to a friend's house. Okay. You tell your parents that you're going to be home late, but not past curfew. And your parents tell you that's fine because you know what the consequences could be if you don't come home on time. Your eyes widen as you turn to leave. You know you're not going to be late. Mm -hmm. You're at the friend's house. And of course, you lose track of time because every kid does. You realize all too late that you're actually already past curfew. You hurry to tell everyone goodbye and run out the door. You look left, right, forward, back. You know the danger is real. She could come out at any moment. You make it home after running the entire way, your heart beating out of your chest. But the second you close the door, you sigh in relief. She didn't come for you. You're safe. You apologize to your parents for being late and happily accept the week-long grounding. You go to bed and immediately fall asleep. Huggin' Molly is still out there, but you're safe from her this time. Why wouldn't you just stay at your friend's house? It seems dangerous. Like, <laughs> right? Why wouldn't your parents be like, "Look, if you please don't be out past curfew, but if you've got to be out past curfew, just stay where you're at." Seems safe. Nah, nah, dude. They're 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 all about threatening you with this chick. Oh my god. So, who is hugging Molly? Well, if you're from Abbeville, then you've heard the legend. The story is that if you're out late at night past curfew, then hugging Molly, and it is hugging. It's H U G G I N, by the way. Molly will come out of the shadows, hug you, and scream in your ear. That sounds annoying. She never seems to do any physical harm outside of the ringing in your ears that's sure to follow the experience. Like, I think I would rather have physical (laughs) harm done to me than somebody (laughs) hug me, like touch me when I don't want to be touched. Hug you very, very tightly. And then scream in my ear, like, rude. Uh. That seems terrifying enough that if that ever happened to me, I would definitely never be out past dark, let alone curfew. Yeah. But that's just me. I'd never <laughs> I leave don't my want house. people touching me. Like, I don't like hugs. And I definitely don't like it from somebody who's going to scream in my ear. Yeah. 
what the heck? Who came up with this? I really want to know who came up with this. I couldn't find anything, but here's, uh, that's just kind of like the brief overview that I found on most sites. Um, but I did like the description from moonmausoleum.com. Uh, and it, it seemed like the pe- person writing that this website, uh, they were not English, the, their native language was not English. So I did have to edit some of it. Um, but they said the local legend of Huggin Molly has it that a tall figure around seven feet tall started walking the streets of Abbeville looking for victims, mostly children. She has no name other than what the townsfolk started calling her. No face to speak of and no one knows why she is after the children. She almost has this witch-like status around her, although her behavior is anything but. Huggin Molly is said to be dressed all in black with a wide brim hat also black, wandering through the night in the disguise of the shadows where even the streets won't street lights won't illuminate her identity. Once she found a, finds a victim, an innocent child wandering after darkness, she attacks, hugging the person tightly as she's screaming loudly in their ears. Oh my god. And this is it. As there are no stories of her actually hurting anyone, she simply hugs them, although honestly that's terrifying enough on its own. Yeah, don't, don't don't touch me during the day, but definitely don't touch me at night if we don't know each other. <laughs> and you have no face either? Because yeah. nobody ever describes being able to see a face. But there are actually stories where people say that they were, they have experienced this happening and just took off running and they were never out past curfew after that. What? Like, why? No. What, so, what? Is somebody in this town hanging out and just waiting for kids to be heading home after nightfall and they start, they just like take the, posi- take the position you- of hugging Molly and scare the crap out of them? Dude, what we Can have you to volunteer do- for that role? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Why don't we go there? <laughs> we'll get the outfits and we'll chase people around after dark. No, that's a good way. But to you were not near Alabama. tall enough. You were not near tall enough. Seven no, feet tall. You could not pull that off. Come on, come on. Have some stilts on, girl. Yeah. <laughs> so, what's the origin of Hug and Molly? Where did she come from? How long ago did the story start? There isn't a lot on the story, but here's the description from that same website because it was. And I'm giving credit to that website because most of all of the other ones that I found said pretty much the same thing, and that's just the first one I came across. So, it's one of those situations where they all just kind of reiterate what the what's said at all the other ones. Mm-hmm. In some accounts, when the local townspeople tell the legend, Hug and Molly was a woman living in Abbeville a long time ago. She experienced a mother's worst nightmare. When she lost her own child, her grief was too much to bear and it made her mad, mad as in crazy, not mad as in angry. Just clarify. She started to roam the nights and went after the local children to make up for the death of her child. Like it was a way of dealing with the tragedy of losing her own. In other accounts of the legend, she was a woman who got murdered in cold blood on the very streets. She is now haunting and is trying to fulfill something. Perhaps she was killed after dark with no one to look out for her. And now, in turn, she's looking out for others. But if she's just going after children, I think the first one would... Make more sense. Make more sense. Mm -hmm. But also, like, why are you going to terrorize kids? I mean, like, did her kid die after dark? Maybe. Uh, Or maybe that's just the easiest time for her to do this because the parents are letting their kids roam around at night. Then it's their fault. Yeah, maybe. Then she should go after the parents, not the kids. You think? That's traumatizing. 
it reminds it gives me very um oh, what's it called darkness falls vibes the two fairy one mm-mm. so um it's a it's a horror movie but it's about the tooth fairy and as long as you're in the light she can't come get you and um and she basically steals you away kills you whatever and so it very much gives me those vibes because you don't ever see her face that's a key part of it she wears a mask um but it does remind me a lot of that story did did we what is darkness falls like an anthology series no, 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 no. It's a movie. Okay. It's it's from when we were, well, I say we, when Paul and I were teenagers. It came out in like the late 90s, early 2000s, I guess. Okay. But it's it's one of my favorites, um, probably just because it's one of the few I watched when I was a teenager and I wasn't too scared to watch it. Oh, well, I was a scaredy cat even back then, so I don't watch scary yeah, movies. fair enough. Um. Perhaps the real story behind the legend is the version about her being a professor at what used to be Alabama Agricultural School, as some of the variations of this legend suggests. In these versions, she's only trying to keep the students safe by getting them off the streets at night. Or perhaps it wasn't a ghost at all that haunted the street in her afterlife, but someone or something getting dressed up specifically for this, to walk out in the dark and scare and hug children. Is this going to be like that kid who put on the (laughs) costume? Somehow this comes off almost as frightening. (laughs) As a ghost who only wants a hug. <laughs> the fuck? No. No, thank you. I don't want it. I don't want Thanks. the hugs. Thanks, but no. Boundaries. <laughs> My therapist has said I've had to, I gotta put up some boundaries, you little ghosty. I mean, it makes me wonder, because like you said, in the state of Alabama, like, that's a good way to get shot. So, Why? And it's only in this city. This is the only place I could find this story. So this isn't one of those where it's like been taken from other cities and kind of morphed into their version. It's very unique to this one area. Yeah. But everyone in the surrounding areas has heard it. So. This bizarre. Bizarre. Like hugging instead of like attacking. Um, Although there was another version I found of the Hug and Molly story with deathly results. On, in smalltownmyths.com. It said, Hug and Molly is a tale out of Abbeville, Alabama. The story starts hundreds of years ago with a woman who will stalk the city streets on nights so cold and dark and damp. The flames in the street lamps can't stay lit. She would wear a black cloak with a hood to hide her identity. The story of this figure states she would find people, people, not children, and hug them to death. How do you hug somebody to death? by crushing them. I feel like that's been done in a few movies, but it's not like actually hugging. It's just like grabbing them around mm-hmm. their torso and just squeezing until their back breaks or something. Sounds like a lot of strength and it sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. Personally, there's a lot of easier ways to kill people. Just saying. I mean, she's doing, she's doing the damn thing. Uh, goals. She's following her dream. Uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> If the, the silver lining is sort of positive, is it? Um, <laughs> it makes her happy, and and the the happier story, she's not actually hurting anybody. So the one where she kills them, maybe not so much. But there's even a Huggin Molly's restaurant, well known around the area. I see sound signs for it every single time we visit Paul's family. And one of these days, we're going to stop there. I even mentioned this last night. I was like, we have to stop there yeah. and try it out. 
Um, even if not for the legend, just because it's kind of, it sounds like it's got a really cool vibe. Mm-hmm. But on their website, they have a description of the legend and it includes a firsthand account. So straight from the website, Jimmy Rain, an Abbeville native and longtime resident, grew up hearing the legend of hugging Molly. For him and his friends, she was as real as the trees that rustled in the wind at night. Quote, anybody who grew up in Abbeville grew up knowing the legend of hugging Molly, Jim, Jimmy says. If your mother and dad didn't want you to be out after dark, they'd tell you hugging Molly would get you and you believed it too. End quote. Mm. One night, Jimmy and his good friend Tommy Murphy heard the story from Tommy's dad. He told them he knew hugging Molly was real because she had sprung from the shadows and hugged him one night. And they okay. were convinced it was going to be, it was true. Mm-hmm. Sure. To this day, hearts beat faster as the moon rises in the sky over Abbeville. Hug and Molly, dressed all in black, could show up at any time. I think uh, this was just a tale for parents to keep their kids. Oh, yeah, obviously. And, you know, coming home at at, at, at the time. Uh, oh, obviously. <laughs> but how obviously Everybody from Abbeville. I wouldn't ever want to hug yeah. from anybody. Could you imagine being the therapist in that town? me making so much money all of those traumatized so much so much childhood trauma uh so it says you have an issue with intimacy uh specifically i'm gonna gonna take a you know i'm I'm gonna guess does the name molly bother you (laughs) straight up panic attack (laughs) right in the office all right i'm gonna prescribe you x and we'll talk more about this next time. Do you oh, obviously need God. a break? Well, good, good job. That well, well, I'm just going to leave it with per al.com. Hug and Molly's, the restaurant, is located at 129 Kirkland Street. And it actually sounds really cool. I really want to check it out just because of the vibe. But it's got an old-fashioned soda fountain offering ice cream and malts. It's decorated with vintage advertisements and mercantile display jars. Their menu includes Mr. Tony's Spaghetti and a sandwich called Mr. Tony's Diplomat, both named for Rain's father, the late Tony Rain, who was a well-known local businessman and restaurateur. You can also order Molly's Fingers, which sounds so <laughs> with comeback sauce, which also doesn't make it better. I guess it's french fries. Yeah, well, um, I don't know. Potato Southern Fair includes pimento cheese crackers and fried green tomatoes, of course. So it it does sound like one of those very cute mom and pop old fashioned places to go to and and just try it out. So I can fuck up some pimento cheese. (sighs) I know. (laughs) Can you get behind the fried green tomatoes? Because I don't like tomatoes of any kind. But I love that pimento cheese and crackers. I I could tear up some of that. Yeah, for sure. Let me add it. And those old uh, those old soda fountains that you can get the the malts. I see. I don't like a malt. That's good stuff. Yeah, well, I only get it like once every five years, so it's not too bad. I can handle we, that. We had like this when we lived in Denver for a while. Um, there was a place because we lived in one of those long, um, long stay like hotels or whatever. Um, and the reason why we were in Denver was because my brother was getting like an experimental treatment for um, he had like asthma and like reflux so like stuff was draining into his lungs so they were ah. doing surgeries and like treatment for that so we were there for like you know six seven months something like that and the long stay like hotel we were in was right across the street from a diner like that and they like to this day i remember it i think it was seven or eight when we lived there but 
if you ordered like a malt, the the waiter he it was it was a dude and he would always yell like random shit like they knew what it was. It would be like Barbie, give me a pig in a blanket or something. You know, something <laughs> weird and it kind of like uh, Odd Thomas. The way did you ever see that movie? Uh-uh. Um, oh my gosh, that actor! Oh, took my heart. But um, it's a he works in a diner like that, and so he he says all the lingo and he starts explaining like, oh, that means two eggs over easy, and this means hash browns over like cooked really well, and it's like that makes no sense. Yeah, none of this makes sense. But the anytime somebody talks about a malt, that's what that reminds me of because <laughs> that's where I had my first malt, and mm-hmm. I didn't like it, but I always got a malt when I went there. Just because I wanted to hear that dude scream at Barbie. Um, <laughs> Sounds about right. Uh, you know, because <laughs> that's Barbie. That's me. I think all of the waitresses uh, were were called Barbie. Oh, and wow. I, I don't know why. It was it was a really weird thing, but that's what I associate malts with now. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah. But well, I, if we never go, you don't have to have a malt. You can have an old fashioned shake or something. Okay. Yeah, that would be great. I would like to go. Um, I don't know if I want to eat Molly's fingers. Uh, I think it's just chicken fingers. Okay. They're called Molly's fingers. Okay. That makes chicken fingers make more sense than French fries, I guess. I'm sure it's a, it's a chicken finger basket. So you probably have fries too. Yeah. It's with comeback sauce, which is odd. I don't want her coming back, but Uh, okay, sure. Also, any food that's named after somebody, I know it's like Frank's um, burger and spaghetti stuff. or something. Yeah, Frank's spaghetti. Also, also weird. Uh, Frank's spaghetti. That all it makes me think of is mom's spaghetti. M and M. Oh well, I was thinking about was uh, Sheldon's mom's. I was thinking cut up hot dogs. Oh, you no, no, no. spaghetti yeah, with yeah. cut up hot dogs. <laughs> I just I don't like food that's named after people because it makes me think that a part of that person is in the food and that's where they're calling okay. it. Okay. Um, sure. Fair enough, I guess. Cause you know, hamburger made out of, you know, pig, ham or beef. Most of the time it's beef. Most of the time it's beef. <laughs> yeah. Why do we call it hamburger? That's a good question. We should look that up. Um, we're not going to, you're welcome. Not now. <laughs> we're giving you something. That's your homework. Yeah, yeah. You come and tell us. You email us with what it why it's called that. Don't email, email us. Thank you. <laughs> if you email us that, it's going email in the trash. Montana. No. Uh, <laughs> well, good job. Great stories. Um, I liked this one a lot. And uh, no hugs we, for us. No hugs for us. Now we get to go take a break and then come back and record another one. So busy yeah. Memorial Day. Yeah, happy Memorial Day. Um, late, late. Yeah, whatever. Well, you understand. All of you, you're appreciated. Most of you. Anyway, I don't know why I said that. I don't either, but it's Um, fine. You can find us on the socials on Facebook and Instagram at Reaper Tales Podcast. Uh, What about email? I was like, what what was I supposed to say? Where do I go from here? Uh, I'm in a corner. (laughs) You can email me at ReaperGals at ReaperTales.com. Email me your show suggestions. Um, email me to tell me I'm doing a good job. Uh, you know, cause I, I like a little bit of a boost, uh, in my I'm ego. sure you don't know that by now. And, you know, email us to tell us why a hamburger is called a hamburger and I can send that to Samantha. She'll enjoy it. Um, <laughs> I will actually <laughs> be sure 
to like, rate, review, subscribe, leave a worded review if possible um, on any and all of the listening platforms that you use. And bonus points if you you do it on the ones you don't because we appreciate it. Yeah, totally do. Uh, Anyways, uh, until next time, love you, made it, bye. The Reaper will come.